Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the fifth Sunday in Lent. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. By your help we beseech you, Lord our God. May we walk eagerly in that same charity, with which, out of love for the world, your Son handed himself over to death. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, who made a way through the sea, a path in the great waters, who put chariots and horse in the field, and a powerful army, which lay there never to rise again, snuffed out, put out like a wick. No need to recall the past, no need to think about what was done before. See, I am doing a new deed. Even now it comes to light. Can you not see it? Yes, I am making a road in the wilderness, paths in the wilds. The wild beasts will honour me, jackals and ostriches, because I am putting water in the wilderness, rivers in the wild. To give my chosen people drink, the people I have formed myself will sing my praises. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The word has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. When the Lord delivered Zion from bondage, it seemed like a dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. On our lips there were songs. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. The heathens themselves said, What marvels the Lord worked for them. What marvels the Lord worked for us. Indeed, we were glad. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Deliver us, O Lord, from our bondage. As streams in dry land, those who are sowing in tears will sing when they reap. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. They go out, they go out full of tears, carrying seed for their sowing. They come back, they come back full of song, carrying their sheaves. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. I believe nothing can happen that will outweigh the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For him I have accepted the loss of everything, and I took on everything as so much rubbish if only I can have Christ and be given a place in him. I am no longer trying for perfection by my own efforts, the perfection that comes from the law. But I want only the perfection that comes through faith in Christ, and is from God and based on faith. All I want is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and to share his sufferings by responding the pattern of his death. That is the way I can hope to take my place in the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have become perfect yet, I have not yet won, but I am still running, trying to capture the prize for which Christ Jesus captured me. I can assure you, my brothers, I am far from thinking that I have already won. All I can say is that I forget the past and I strain ahead for what is still to come. 
I am racing for the finish, for the prize to which God calls us upwards to receive in Christ Jesus. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. With all your heart, turn to me, for I am tender and compassionate. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At daybreak he appeared in the temple again, and as all the people came to him, he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman along who had been caught committing adultery. And making her stand there, in full view of everybody, they said to Jesus, Master, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery, and Moses has ordered us in the law to condemn women like this to death by stoning. What have you to say? They asked him this as a test, looking for something to use against him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. As they persisted with their question, he looked up and said, If there is any one of you who has not sinned, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent down and wrote on the ground again. When they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest, until Jesus was left alone with the woman who remained standing there. He looked up and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go away and do not sin any more. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel today starts off with um, a little phrase just to set the scene. You know, we hear about the woman caught in adultery and all that sort of stuff, but, but John begins like this. He says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At daybreak, he appeared in the temple again, and as all the people came to him, he sat down and began to teach them. Just take a little geographical note for a second. He's in the Mount of Olives, and he crosses the Kidron Valley and goes into Jerusalem to teach in the temple. So we're in the fifth week of Lent, right? That movement is going to sound awfully familiar next week. Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and then taken for a sinner. Arrested, accused, executed. There's something awfully familiar about what the scribes and Pharisees do to this woman, to what they're going to do to Jesus. But it's into this scene that the Pharisees try to put Jesus to the test. Master, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery, and Moses has ordered us in the law to condemn women like this to death by stoning. What have you to say? Now, the goal of the Pharisees was to put Christ in the midst of a lose-lose dilemma. Does he deny Moses, 
Or does he deny mercy? What's interesting to note is that the Jews didn't in fact stone adulterers to death. Historically, the practice had fallen into disuse long before the time of Christ, and perhaps maybe had never even been practiced. And there were many capital crimes in the law of Moses. Um, The book of Deuteronomy, for example, commands this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not listen to the voice either of his father or of his mother, and even when they punish him still will not pay attention to them, his father and mother must take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his town at the gate of that place, and all his fellow citizens must then stone him to death. I suspect it's the temptation of many a parent, but this wasn't practiced among the Israelites. But you see, the law, it had a sapiential value. It proclaimed wisdom. And the wisdom of the law was to proclaim that the formative relationship between parents and children is life-giving. And the severing of that relationship is mortal peril. It's death. Well, in the same way, the relationship between husband and wife is life-giving. And the severing of that relationship places one in mortal peril. And so the question of the Pharisees puts Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. They absolutize the law and its penalty. And so they attempt to wedge Jesus. So Jesus, is adultery a big deal? If it is, then Moses prescribes the stoning of the woman to death, and if it isn't, then how are you faithful to God's law? Now, the response of Jesus is well known. If there's anyone among you who hasn't sinned, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, in the Jewish system of laws, the testimony of two witnesses was required in order to sustain any charge. We hear that famously during the Passion, right? Well, an act needed to be seen from two different perspectives in order to judge it. And it was the witnesses who were to be the ones to cast the first stone. In other words, the witnesses themselves took responsibility for the stoning, declaring, based on the accusation I have made, this person is guilty. Now, in our imagination, you know, we might consider the act of stoning to be the raining down of hundreds of little stones. But it would seem instead that large rocks would be used in order to end the person's life. A stone so large that it would need to be carried by two. The two witnesses. They were the ones who stood by the certainty of their own testimony and carried out the consequence of their own testimony. Our Lord Jesus is inviting the crowds to consider their own testimony, their own certainty. If you are so certain of her guilt and of your own innocence, then be the ones to cast the stone. Be the ones who take responsibility for this act of justice. We're all sinners. And we all share guilt. Who can say that we have truly witnessed and know with certainty the sin of another? Surely the only one who is able to judge with certainty 
and rightly, is the one with perfect sight and purity of heart. Our own sinfulness doesn't allow us to judge completely. Without deviousness or deception, we can't judge completely in love. And so the oldest begin to leave the scene. Because they, having lived the longest, are the ones with the most sins. The youngest are the last to leave because they're the ones most convinced of their own perfection and their capacity to judge rightly. But even they go. What's interesting is that one by one, the crowd and the Pharisees leave the scene aware of the weight of their own sinfulness. And the only one who's left with the Lord Jesus is the woman herself. And so the Lord says to her, go, don't sin again. He does judge her action as sinful. Because he has the purity of heart to judge rightly. But... He doesn't condemn her. He forgives her. And here's the beautiful irony. Where all the Pharisees left with their sins upon their conscience, the one who leaves forgiven is the woman who was the subject of the accusation in the first place. The encounter with Christ, the true judge, is the coming together of truth and mercy. Because I think there's something that we need to acknowledge about sin, right? That it does impact us. It changes who we are. People who tell lies become liars. People who steal become thieves. People who commit adultery become adulterers. But for the Lord Jesus, thieves are not mere thieves. Liars are not mere liars, and adulterers are not mere adulterers. Without downplaying the gravity of sin, the Lord Jesus is able to see in this woman someone who is more than an adulteress. She's more than just the sum total of her sin. And so, the act of forgiveness is the ability to see the more of the person. Yes, you're a sinner, but who you have been in the past doesn't determine who you will be in the future, and I believe you can be more. You see, the Pharisees don't see the more. They nail this woman to the cross of her sin. They name her as a mere adulteress, and they're content to reduce the human person to an object, an instrument, one that they use in a plot to ensnare Jesus. But Jesus, instead of reducing this woman to her sin, instead forgives her. He makes in her an act of faith. Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. In other words, who you have been in the past doesn't determine who you must be in the future, and I believe you can be more. Forgiveness is the recognition of the dignity of the human person, and it's an act of faith that each can be more. How often, when we go into the confessional, do we think that we're the ones who are making an act of faith in God? Well, perhaps 
we ought to see the other side of the coin. It's the Lord who makes an act of faith in us. Who you have been in the past doesn't determine who you must be in the future. And with my grace, I believe, I know, you can be more. The Lord doesn't reduce us to the catalogue of our sins. His forgiveness opens up a new horizon for us. How easily we nail ourselves to the cross of our own sins. In despair, we resign ourselves to being mere sinners. And being a mere sinner, I guess, I just continue in my pattern of sin. If I'm merely an adulterer, well then, I'm one who commits adultery. But the mercy of the Lord shatters that picture. I'm not merely an adulterer, and I don't need to be one at all. The woman caught in adultery can leave her encounter with Jesus with newfound possibility, leaving behind all that had previously held her captive. The Lord lifts the shame which held her bound. And Christ does the same for us. When we encounter him in the sacrament of confession, he makes this act of faith in us and gives us this new horizon. How perfectly mercy and hope travel hand in hand. I don't know, maybe that's the take-home message then. We can so easily get wrapped up in resignation, sadness, hopelessness about our own sinfulness. And just quietly that misery gives us permission to stay the same. When we encounter the Lord's mercy through confession this Lent, let's remember what that mercy means. Neither do I condemn you. Go, don't sin anymore. You don't have to. And I believe that you can be more. In fact, on Good Friday, I'll bet my life on it. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.